Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape it if we how shall we escape if we neglect such great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Emily. Three friends went on a spearfishing and scuba diving trip off of one of their 42-foot boats. They were 25 miles offshore. All three divers were experienced. They were also members of the Florida Skin Divers Association. As they came to the dive site, the owner of the vessel set the anchor in calm sea conditions. And as they descended, he reset the anchor to what he thought was a more secure area in some boulders. And so they went on their expedition as they dove. When they finished, as they surfaced together, they realized the sea conditions had changed dramatically. The boat's anchor had come loose in the five to six foot seas, and the boat had drifted three miles from where they were diving. The divers were in a dire situation, 25 miles off the coast, three miles from their boat. This morning, as we come to this text, there's a command and a warning Because we can find ourselves in a place spiritually in the same way that these divers found themselves away from what was safe, uh, distant from their boat, no place to get back to safety. We can find ourselves that place spiritually if we aren't careful. And in this text this morning, there's a command and a warning. The command is to pay attention the, the seas of life are rough, and we need to be aware of that. And then there's a warning because we can be susceptible to drifting away. So we're going to look at the command, and we're going to look at the warning. Let's look at the warning first. The warning is this. There is a danger of drifting. Look at your Bibles at verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. We must pay careful attention, must pay much closer attention 
to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And note, the writer of Hebrews, he's not just writing to those who he's speaking with. He's actually preaching to himself because he uses the word we throughout these four verses. Because he's saying this is something that's susceptible to every Christian. Drifting is not intentional, but often comes from a lack of attentiveness or carelessness. Unfortunately, drifting is a besetting sin even of our day. As Christians, we, we can neglect the anchor of Jesus Christ and to begin to quietly drift away. And when you drift, you don't, you don't feel friction. We aren't alarmed when we drift because it's so subtle. And then when the waves of trouble come, the things of Christ can be left behind. John, the writer of Revelation, wrote the words of Jesus, who was speaking to the Ephesian church. And when Jesus said this, yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken your first love. That's in Revelation 2, spoken to the Ephesian church. The Ephesian church are the ones that got the letter from Paul about being strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, about the full armor of God. There's great gospel truth in that letter because this was a strong church. It was a church in which he loved so much that when he left that church on the beach, he and the elders they wept together and yet this church drifted so let us not think that we are different than the Ephesians let us not think that we can't drift so what what causes drifting I want to briefly cover what, what are some causes of us to drift one of the causes of us to drift, I would call the tide of years. Time can cause us to drift. Once you know Christ, like over time, it can be imperceptible. The cares of life, we get busy doing the things uh, that we do and we can drift or our love of comfort. Uh, we get one thing and maybe another thing and another thing and comfort becomes a thing that we make sure that we do and we can drift from our walk with the Lord or even compromise, starting with something small and then we compromise with something more and something more and something more. And just over time, we drift. So the tide of years can be a cause for drifting. A second cause for drifting can be the tide of familiarity. The first time I went to Chicago as a teenager, I was just enamored by all of the buildings and all that there was to see there. It was before the bean existed, and, uh, but there were lots of things to see the pier and the stores. Maybe you've been. I know the first time I took my kids, it was exciting. For them, it wasn't the buildings. or It was like the Bean and the Lego store and the American Girl store. That was exciting to them. Those were big things when they were little. But then over time, as we became familiar with the city, we'd, we'd go into the city frequently when people would come visit our house and we'd go five times and 10 times and 20 times. And then things just didn't feel so exhilarating anymore. And when you first come to Christ, you can be amazed. I know when I first came to Christ, I, I was amazed at God and 
the things I was learning about God and everything was new and it was like I could feel worship when I would gather with the saints on a Sunday morning and it was just so palpable for me every single time and I was just fired up to go and that can be our experience when we come to Christ but then as time goes on we become familiar maybe after you've heard your 300th sermon or maybe as you're reading through the Bible, as you've done it a number of times, it becomes wrote to you. Or maybe you're on your, your, your 10th BSF study or, or other kind of studies that you're doing and our relationship to Christ can become rote and even boring if we don't engage our hearts. We can become familiar and not in the sense that we get to know Christ more, but we just, oh, we, we, we know him. You know, we've learned all that we need to know about him and move on. Here's the reality. When, When you read the scriptures to know Christ, to abide in Christ, there's always something new to learn. Every single time I've read through the scriptures, every single year there's new things, there's fresh things to find. So the danger isn't that this book gets old. The danger is actually not engaging with this book or engaging with Christ. That's the danger. We can... We can drift. And there was a season in my life. I remember when I moved to Cleveland, we were moving there to be a part of a church plant. You don't move to Cleveland just because you want to. You move because you're called to. And we moved there because we were called to. But then over time, I began to drift. Not, not reading, not engaging in fellowship. And before I knew it, I was having the, the, the hardest season in my marriage, if I look back, happened during those years. And the distance I felt from my children happened during those years. The discontentment in my heart happened during a number of those years when I just allowed familiarity. And we were there because God called us there to help plant a church. But I drifted. And we can drift when we have familiarity with the saints. We can neglect fellowship with the saints. I'm talking genuine fellowship with the saints. We can come and we can see one another. Yeah, I recognize those individuals. I know them. They're familiar. They're nice people. And we cannot engage with one another at a heart level about Christ and about the things we're struggling with so we can encourage one another and stir one another up to love and good works. That's why we don't forsake our assembling together so we can stir one another up, not just so that we can be in one another's presence and have fun together. So that familiarity can be there. So that's secondly, the tide of familiarity. A third cause of drifting can be the tide of busyness. We live in a busy world. There's grocery shopping to do. There's laundry to be done. There's cleaning to be done. There's home maintenance to be done. There's car maintenance to be done. There's all kinds of things that have to get done every day. We go to real jobs. You go to real jobs that have real pressures and real weights. There are certain seasons in time where those jobs require a lot of your time, and you don't have a choice about those things. And so I get there's realities to the busyness, but when we don't prioritize our time with Christ, that busyness can start to cause us to drift. 
So the many things that we do, we can even say, well, yeah, this thing's not bad, that thing's not bad, but here's the reality. The, the snowflakes that you encountered as you came, right, they're tiny. They're tiny snowflakes, but we realize when the air gets filled with them, it can cause problems. And if we're not intentional, the cares of life can isolate us from the excellencies of Christ. Now, I want to take a moment to speak to those of you who are in a season where maybe you have children who are really young. Or maybe you have a child with special needs. Or maybe you are caring for your aging parents or someone in need. You're just in a season that just takes the life out of you. I don't want you to feel condemned by the reality of the details of your life. You can't change them. Just because you're constantly busy and wondering if you will ever sleep again, that doesn't necessarily mean you're drifting. It is a season, but I can assure you that your God will meet you in the place that you are and give you the grace that you need. If you prioritize your time with him and, and in a sense, steal that time away with Jesus, you are paying attention. John Wesley's mom, uh, it said that she spent time with the Lord between midnight and 1 a.m. because they had a number of children in the house, and when things got crazy, she got everybody settled down, and she sat down, and she had an apron that she would wear when she was working, and she would take it, and she'd flip it over her head and create her own little prayer closet, and she would spend time with Jesus. Why did she do that? Because she knew that's what was going to give her life. She was paying attention. So I get that the tide of busyness is, is real, but it doesn't, we can be busy and have full lives, but not drift. The fourth cause of drifting is the tide of distraction. There are lots of things that keep us busy that are non-essential. I mean, certainly we can watch a show or you can, you can be on social media or read the news or play athletic events and be involved in this activity or that activity. None of those things in and of themselves are bad, but we can allow ourselves to be distracted by them. I know when I go fishing with friends, because I'm not much of a fisherman, so when I go, they have to teach me what to do so I don't cast the hook and stick it in their back while we're fishing. But when we fish, we, we get the fish out because what do we do? We have a hook and we hook the fish in the fish's mouth and we can either keep the fish in the bucket and eat it later or we can put the fish back. But the fish can't go back because he's got a hook in his mouth. But sometimes we allow these things in our lives to become the hook in our mouth and they start to lead us rather than us lead them. So we just have to be aware of the tide of distraction. The divers I spoke about were distracted. All of them went diving. No one stayed in the boat. No one was paying attention. The seas got rough, the anchor came loose, and the boat began to drift. And when we let the tide loosen our anchor, we can begin to drift. 
Neglect has disastrous consequences. Neglect has disastrous consequences. And a reckoning will come for all of our sin. Lest we not think that if we let ourselves slip into sin, that it won't have a consequence. We know that there are consequences. It says, verse 2, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, referring back to the Old Testament law and the fact that anything that was done wrong, there were just consequences. The Old Testament is full of examples of this, as the first readers of Hebrews would have known. They would have they would have been alerted by that phrase to the various stories, whether it's Korah or Dathan or an Abiram rebelling against Moses and were swallowed up into the earth, or whether it was Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, who were consumed by fire because they were offering strange fire to the Lord. And the whole generation of Israel who did not trust in the Lord, were made to wander for 40 years in the wilderness and then die. So the original hearers of this letter would have had those stories in the back of their minds and they would have known there are consequences if we fall into a pattern of sin. We should not take sin lightly because there's a reckoning for all sin. It's sobering. There will come a day where where we give an account for that which we do. There will be a day of reckoning, and that day is real. But for us, There is good news because that day of reckoning is going to be different for those who trust in Jesus Christ because retribution has taken place. Because as we learned from last chapter in verse 3 of chapter 1, it says this, he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And then it says this of Jesus, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus can change your day of reckoning. If you come to Christ and you trust in Christ, it can change everything because he paid the penalty for all sins. So even if you find yourself having given into some of these areas of drift, you can come and confess that to the Lord and he will forgive you if you've fallen into a pattern of sin and you can believe that and you can know that even today. Even if you've never trusted in Jesus, you can trust in him today. See, the better swimmer of the three in the story, as they found themselves stranded 25 miles out, three miles from their boat, they decided one of us needs to try to go for the boat. So the better swimmer swam for the boat. She started out after the drifting boat, and after three hours, she finally got to the vessel. But that's not what saved them. What saved them was she had the ability to call the Coast Guard. 
and an amazing rescue took place. The Coast Guard came to where she was and came to where her friends were, and they were rescued. Even though she made an effort, that's not what ultimately saved them. They needed someone else to save them. We all need someone else to save us. You can't do it on your own. You can't work hard enough. You can't do enough good things to earn something with God. The only way that you can have a relationship with God and have these sins forgiven is if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you do, you will become part of his family. And when you trust in Christ, he brings the spirit of God and then he brings conviction. So even if you're feeling conviction about these things, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That just means that he's conforming you to the image of his son. But we must be aware that drift is real. Because the diver's story almost ended in tragedy because the anchor came loose. Because no one was in the boat. No one was paying attention. So the danger of drifting is that it goes on largely unnoticed. That's the danger of drifting. Even though we've talked about the dangers But if we let ourselves subtly slip into the the dangers, it goes largely unnoticed until we come up out of the water and we realize we're in grave danger. So how do we prevent that from happening? Well, we pay attention. That's the command. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention. That's what it says in verse 1. Pay much closer attention to the word, uh, to what we have heard. The Greek word for pay attention is prosecco. It's a word that has nautical implications. It means holding to a course or securing an anchor. So to avoid drifting off course, you hold the wheel of the ship in line to avoid slipping out with the current. And it, it ha- the anchor stays rooted where it needs to be and you stay where you need to be. That's what what it's saying, pay attention. So how do we pay attention? I think as we consider paying attention, the first thing we have to be most aware of is what do we need to be rooted in? We need to have an anchor. Before we think about, well, what are we going to do to to plant that anchor? What what are we going to plant it in? And that we're going to plant that in the gospel. The gospel message has been made clear. Look at verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. There's a message here that we don't want to become too familiar with. There's a message here of the gospel that is powerful. First, it's announced by the Lord. That's what it says in verse 3. It's announced by the Lord. The angels uh, declared that Jesus had come. The Lord declared Jesus to be his beloved son. In Matthew 4, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in Luke 24, it says, That the Son of Man may be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. There's just testimony throughout Jesus' life about the gospel. 
So it's been testified by the Lord, but not just that the Lord has spoken. There's also witnesses about this message because we can be sure of this message. So the Lord announced it. It's confirmed by witnesses. In John 20, we learned that Peter and John were at the open tomb. Then they saw Jesus later. Then there would have been ample evidence for them of the resurrection. They're at the empty tomb. They saw Jesus later. They were certain about it. So then they would tell others about it. What was the benefit for them telling others about it? Even if they didn't see those things, if they were lying about those things, what would have been the benefit? Their benefit was hardship, poverty, persecution, beatings, even martyrdom. It was worth it because they had witnessed the resurrection. They had witnessed Christ. They had seen the the scars in his hands and in his feet. And so they have testified to it. And it wasn't just them. It was passed along. The apostle John, he passed along the story of the gospel to Polycarp, who then was martyred. But before Polycarp was martyred, he passed this witness of this stories along to a, a man called Irenaeus. And Irenaeus recounted this of his experience with Polycarp. And he said this, he said, as he, Polycarp, remembered their words, talking about the words of the apostles and what he had heard from them concerning the Lord and concerning his miracles and his teaching, having received from them eyewitnesses of the word of life. Polycarp related all these, all things in harmony with the scriptures. These things being told me by the mercy of God, I listened to them attentively, noting them down, not on paper, but in my heart. And continually, through God's grace, I recall them faithfully. So the gospel message declared by the Lord, affirmed and declared by witnesses for generations, and then thirdly, attested to by signs and wonders, as we see here in verse 4, by signs and wonders and spiritual gifts. We learn in Acts 2, 43, and awe came upon every soul. This is after Pentecost, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The Spirit came in power. As if testimony from the Lord, you know, angels declaring from heaven, Jesus doing miracles, declaring it, the apostles going and spreading the news of what they had seen, then signs and wonders accompany these things, and power comes, and lives are transformed. And we continue to see that work through Christians even today, great miracles of transformed lives, hearts of stone turning into hearts of flesh. How many stories have I heard of individuals in their testimony? Yes, I engaged with this friend who was so different, and they came to Christ, and they were so dramatically different. I had to learn more about what they were talking about. So it continues. Our anchor needs to be in this message that was clearly testified to. We don't ever have to question the message. The message of the gospel is essential. 
Without the message, we have no place to put our anchor. Your anchor is not going to hold if you try to root it in financial stability. Your anchor is not going to hold if you try to root it in uh, a political process. Your anchor is not going to hold if you try to root it in a particular land that you believe you can go to, and then you will be safe there and everything will be good. Your anchor is not going to hold if you try to put it in the root of a relationship. Well, that relationship will be the thing that will keep me stable in my life. The only place the anchor holds is deeply rooted in this gospel message that has been clearly testified to and declared that Jesus Christ came and he, he lived a perfect life and he went to the cross and paid the penalty for our sins. But he didn't stay dead, he rose and he's coming again. That's the message that we need to be rooted in. That's the message that helps us to look outward rather than inward. That's the message that sees us through every storm. That's the message that keeps us from drifting. Yes, there's things we'll talk about, but the gospel message is the thing that we need to preach to ourselves every single day. That's where we need to be anchored. Otherwise, we're just sticking our anchor in the sand. I don't know about you, if you've, if you've gone down to the beach anytime recently, anything you leave on the sand isn't going to be there the next time you go. But if it's rooted firmly in the rock of the gospel, it's going to be there. It's going to last. And once we have the message, we must take the effort to hold on to the gospel message. Because drifting, honestly, drift, drifting requires absolutely no effort whatsoever. Staying on course is the thing that requires the effort. Holding on to the wheel, paying attention is the thing that requires the effort. In the matter of our belief, as in all other matters, Christianity requires hard work. The New Testament describes the life of faith as a fight as a race, as a field in which farmers labor. That's the description. Paul uses phrases like, I press on, I follow after, I strive, I fight. Those are the words he uses to describe. So what are we to do? We're to pay closer attention to what we have heard. But as we pay attention, understand this. Our efforts are not what earn us our salvation. Our efforts are not what earn us our salvation. So the things that we do to pay attention aren't earning us some extra favor with God. Make sure you start with the gospel. You have favor with God because of what Jesus has done. But yet there's a call for us to pay close attention to the word. C.S. Lewis, as typically perceptive as he is when he writes, said this. He said, we have, we have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive in your mind. It must be fed. 
And as a matter of fact, if you examined a hundred people who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? So we, we hold onto the wheel first by abiding in Christ through the word of God and prayer. We need regular reminders. Again, the goal is not some religious exercise, but it's daily grounding in the truth, in the truth of God's word. That's where we will find it. As we abide in Christ, it's important that we find ourselves in his revealed word as we've talked about. The Old Testament speaks of Christ. The New Testament speaks of Christ coming and his return. The truths about God and his character that we need uh, as our foundation are found here. Because we need reminders of his character. We need reminders of his holiness and his righteousness and his love and his grace and his faithfulness and his power and his wisdom. We don't need pithy sayings. We don't need the power of positive thinking. We need to know about God. We need to be reminded that we aren't God and that we fall short. As we read the Psalms, we can see the psalmist crying out in times of distress. When we read in the Old Testament, we read of mighty men and women who failed. We're not God, but there is a God. And even when we fall short, he sends a redeemer. And we need to be reminded that Christ didn't fall short and shed his blood for us. The cross is where his mercy is so wonderfully displayed. And we get that reminder by spending time in his word. We need to be reminded we're part of God's family. We need to be reminded that Christ meets us in this pilgrimage that we're on because we're not home yet. The number one place we get reminders is God's word. Dan Donald Gray Barnhouse said, it is the word of God that can establish the Christian and give him strength to overcome the old forces and to live the new. It can never be done in any other way. You cannot find even one Christian on this earth who has developed into strength of wisdom and witness in the Lord who has attained it by any other means than study and meditation in the word of God. We, we avoid the danger of drift by reading, by hearing, by meditating, by obeying. Some of you have grown up in the church and this has become familiar. Some of you got saved 20, 30, 40 years ago and this has become familiar. But we must remember, as B.B. Warfield said, when scripture speaks, God speaks. When scripture speaks, God speaks. When you open this book, God is speaking to you. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God or woman may be competent, equipped for every good work. 
When scripture speaks, God speaks. So remember that when you open up your Bible or when you open up the app on your phone, God is speaking to you. And we avoid spiritual drift by dropping the anchor of our souls deeply in the word of God. I know when life gets full, you're like, oh man, I just need to, I need to figure out my schedule. I got to manage it. I got to cut things out. But in our life, there's this input and this output, this output of these things that we do. And oftentimes we go right to the output. Well, I've got to, I've got to get rid of this thing or maybe that thing, or I just don't have enough time for that thing. Now, there's, there's a right place and point in time, particularly for someone like me who can pack his schedule way too full. There are times where I do need to say no to some things. But the thing I want to ask you to consider first is what's going in the input? Before you go to the list of what, what might I need to change or cut out, what are you putting in? You would not expect a marathon runner to fast for a week and then run a marathon. No, you're going to expect them to like carbo-load their brains out and just eat tons of food, uh, prepping up so that they could go and they can, they can output all kinds of abilities that just seem unfathomable to me. So where's your input? If you're finding a hard time managing your life where things seem on the fray, have you asked the question about the input? Are you paying attention to your soul? Are you delighting yourself in the gospel and Jesus Christ? So abide in Christ through the word of God and prayer. That's how we hold onto the wheel. But we also hold onto the wheel by connecting with the saints on Sunday mornings and in small groups. We get reminders of the truth of the gospel when we sing. We get reminders when the word of God is opened to us. We get reminders when we're in a small group and we talk about what we've been reading in our Bibles throughout the week or we're discussing truth. And then sometimes those small groups are so essential because we find ourselves in the same place that those divers found themselves. Sometimes we've jumped into the water and we've not paid attention. But you know what? When that happens, we have people in our small groups that are still in the boat. They might be the ones holding the rudder if we've gone astray because they're there to help us when we do go astray and they encourage us and strengthen us. And you've been there for others. I know that's been happening in our small groups. I can think of a particular situation where there's a couple going through an overwhelming trial. They find themselves in the water, not being able to get to the surface. But then those in their small group, they're praying. They're trusting in Christ. They are there to help them up and to point them to Christ. You don't have to do this on your own. We do this in community. That's why all the one another's exist in scripture. So our small groups, they, they come alongside us. J.C. Ryle said, I will never shrink from declaring my belief that there, is, there are no spiritual gains without pains. I should as soon expect a farmer 
I should as soon expect a farmer to prosper in business who contented himself with sowing his fields and never looking at them till harvest as expect a believer to attain much holiness with uh, who was not diligent about his Bible reading, his prayers, and his use of Sundays. Fellowship with the saints is, por- is important. Friends, the call is to pay attention. The force of this phrase in the original language is more like we must pay greatest attention. Pay great attention. The focus of our attention should be the supremacy of Christ. That's what this whole book is about. Our focus of our attention is on the supremacy of Christ. We look, and we're going to see in this book, Christ exploding out of every passage. And this book is going to point us back to the Old Testament, where Christ explodes out of every passage. We should meditate on him and ask questions and memorize and stop and pause and just worship him. And I'll see as Lewis also, another quote from him, he has so many good thoughts he, he gave some advice to a little girl. This is what he said to the little girl. He said, if you continue to love Jesus, nothing much can go wrong with you. And I hope you always do so. What a sweet treasure. If you continue to love Jesus, nothing much can go wrong with you. And I hope you always do so. Focus your attention on the supremacy of Christ and then live it out. Live out your life. If you want to know how to live out your life, you can, you can put practicals to this, but Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9 helps me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So you're like, well, what does that look like? It looks like something. Let it pervade every aspect of your life, focusing on the supremacy of Christ. And then living it out in community together. In closing, the song Come thou fount of every blessing. We've sung that song here. We're going to sing that song before we leave. That song was written by a man named Robert Robinson, who was converted under the mighty preaching of George Whitfield. But later he drifted from the Lord. He had been greatly used as a pastor, but neglect of spiritual things led him astray. In an attempt to find peace, he began to travel. During one of his journeys, he met a young woman who was evidently very spiritually minded. And this is what she said. She said, what do you think of this hymn I have been reading? She asked Robinson, handing him the book. As he opened the book, it was his own hymn. He tried to avoid her question, but it was hopeless, for the Lord was speaking to him. 
Finally, he broke down and confessed who he was and how he had been living away from the Lord. But this is how she responds to him. She says, but these streams of mercy are still flowing right from the hymn. These streams of mercy that you've written about, they're still flowing and they're flowing for you. As the woman assured him and through her encouragement, Robinson was restored to fellowship with the Lord. So you may find yourself in that place this morning. You may find yourself having drifted, maybe slightly, maybe drastically. But this is, these are the words at the end of that song that some say he, he wrote after this encounter with this woman. He wrote, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That may be your prayer today. And if it is, know that streams of mercy are still flowing. You do not need to be adrift anymore. If ever in the future you find yourself adrift, these streams of mercy are available to you and you can throw your anchor deep into his abundant grace, deep into the gospel again. So you can do that today and any day until we see him face to face. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for this reminder that we need to pay attention Father, may, may this reminder not come in a, a condemning way, but Lord, would it, it remind us of your relentless pursuit that you don't leave us drifting. You have rescued us and you will rescue us again if we find ourselves in a place of drifting. And I want to pray right now for those of you who may be struggling. The Lord has brought to light some area in which you've allowed yourself to drift. The Lord doesn't want you to just write that down and, and just move on. He wants you to experience the power of his forgiveness this morning. And he wants you to experience his grace as he conforms you to the image of his son. So I pray right now for those who are in that struggle. Lord, give them the courage to share that with a brother or sister in Christ before they leave today or when they meet together in small group this week. That they'd receive mercy and grace and experience what Mr. Robinson experienced. Being returned to the family and welcomed with open arms just like you welcomed God, for those who have never trusted in Christ, that they would see that they have been adrift their whole life and come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus. And if that's you this morning, I'd love to talk with you before you leave. I pray, God, as we, as we continue to worship this morning, may we look 
to Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.